Welcome to the JetRails podcast, supporting you through the airwaves with information about website and e-commerce technology and strategies from design and development to security, marketing, conversion rate optimization, and web hosting. We bring you insights from industry leaders and experts hosted, edited, and published by me, Robert Rand, your friendly neighborhood tech ambassador. Hi, and welcome to an episode of the JetRails podcast. I'm Robert, your host, and today we're going to be talking about uh, customer experience optimization, different tips, things that are going to be helpful for your business uh, and for your practice as it relates to e-commerce and uh, things that are continuing to evolve and change in 2021 and beyond. Uh, with me today, um, I've got Will from the Customers Who Click team, and uh, Will, would you do the honor of introducing yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, I, I focus on uh, customer value optimization, customer experience optimization. Um, my background originally was in startups. And so while my main focus was always marketing, I was very much exposed to the product side, um, you know, working along with, you know, product teams who were kind of had their own roadmaps and were just kind of getting along with that. And then the marketing team was just given a budget and told, you know, acquire users, generate money, make make the company profitable. And it just didn't work like that, especially in startups where everything was new. You know, the the actual concept of the app might be completely new, um, or it might just be in a space where, you know, you're it, it's still relatively the, the the general idea is still relatively new. So there's, you know, there might be competition, but you know, everyone's still developing. Um, so over the years, I kind of pushed myself into that a bit more and said, look, you know, you can give us all the money you want, but we can only get the business so far unless we're optimizing the, the product itself um, or the service. And, you know, it, it's that actual product experience, which is going to convert more pe- more traffic into customers and then also get those customers coming back again and again. So one of my... Um, yeah, I focused a lot on kind of CRM marketing automation to to bring people back. Um, a lot of my experiences on you know when someone is actually on your website, what is the experience they're having? How can we make that better so that you know we don't even have to speak to them if they don't want us to? You know, if the worst case that can happen is someone unsubscribes from an email, you know, or, or doesn't opt in to email and has a bad experience and just never comes back, and you've got no hope. So what I try and do is make sure that they have the best possible experience so that if they don't opt in, they're likely to come back. But also, ideally, they opt in because they've had a good experience they want to hear from a brand. So yeah, that's, I guess, kind of a snapshot of what I do. It's mainly with um, kind of uh, direct-to-consumer businesses as well. So that's interesting. So uh, if I had to <laughs> put on my lens, it's basically, uh, not to completely regurgitate, but you know, marketers have it tough. Um, you can bring people to a website, you know, as the old saying goes, you can bring the horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Uh, you have to have yeah. something there that really brings value. Um, you know, I've been talking with lots of folks these days about some of the volume of e-commerce sites that have, uh, you know, been coming about in the last uh, couple of years, especially on, on some of the SaaS platforms where, you know, quick, easy to launch, and a lot of them are drop shippers. They're offering the same products as everyone else. Um, they really aren't doing anything different in terms of experience. They're an unknown brand, so they don't have that going for them. That there's no uh, affinity there. There, there's no um, you know history there to to be researched. 
So it's like, well, you know, if you can at least delight the shopper in some way, uh, do it better than someone else, provide better information, better uh, experience uh, of the shopping processes they're researching, investigating, whatever they're doing, um, you know, basically give yourself an edge. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's, it's not to say you can't make money if you don't focus on that. Like, say, if you're a drop shipper with the same products as everyone else, you will make sales. There's always that little bit of differentiation that just naturally occurs. That will mean you will generate sales, but you're always going to be chasing the next sale. You're always going to be thinking, right, you're always going to be watching your CPAs, watching those click-through rates on your ads and trying to optimize there. I'm worried that if something goes wrong at that stage, your business is in trouble. Yeah. And which just doesn't make sense. I mean, I think traditional retail and other channels have understood this for a long time. You know, they're if you go into a, a major retailer, you see that they're constantly making changes in store um, to the layouts and the organization of products, and they're testing out new programs and new things. And uh, you know, sometimes they don't move as fast as they'd like to either. I suppose that's always the challenge that uh, you know a house is never truly done, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, the same could be said of one of these. But you know, when I talk about this, so often it's about customer lifetime value, average order value. Uh, you know, it's about these KPIs that are still extremely important. But what I think sometimes gets uh, left off from the conversation, as you alluded to, you know, you're just so busy tracking uh, these very important KPIs that you take your eye off the ball in terms of, you know, in, in terms of the customer. So you're so busy uh, thinking about the mouse trap that you stop thinking about the mouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So what is it that you start with if you're trying to begin evaluating, thinking about what does the customer want? What does the customer need? How are we going to enhance their experience? Yeah, so um, I guess th the three kind of basic Three basic areas really are um, the the two sides of data. So the kind of Google Analytics, which is just you know that kind of rawish data on how many people are visiting each page, which pages they're going to from which page, where people leave the website, where they bounce, uh, conversion rates, that sort of thing. Then you've got the data on you know heat maps, click maps, um, session recordings. Although I guess in a way that's not really data because you you have to watch a session recording each time. Um, and then you've got the customer feedback. So those are kind of the three areas that I really dig into with, with any project to really understand what, what is going wrong, what's going right, and what do cost customers want. Um, and it's important to make sure you use all three because the heat maps, you know, like I said, so Google Analytics will tell you what pages they're browsing, how long people spend on pages you know, as a whole. Um, obviously, you can do segmentation, so you can find out how long do your converting how long does your converting traffic spend on a page compared to your non-converting traffic? How do mobile devices compare to desktop devices? But what it doesn't tell you is why this is happening. You know, why do people spend more time on a website? Why do people spend less time? Um, why do certain people click certain buttons? Um, then you're kind of getting into the heat map session recording data, which is, you know, you'll see you know, with a heat map, where are people clicking on a page? And also importantly, where are people not clicking on a page, and where are they scrolling? Usually, to? more more importantly, from my experience, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. it tells a big part of the story. Um, and I think you know what we see quite often is 
uh, companies will have, you know, for example, loads of information below the fold, but we'll see that barely anyone even scrolls that far. So uh, does that mean you're, there's not enough data there to really, you know, come to any conclusions because you could ask yourself the question, are people just not interested? Um, is there just not enough information at the top of the page? Is it not catching people's attention to make them scroll? Or is it the wrong information at the top of the page versus is, at the bottom? You know, should you switch things up a little bit? Sure. Yeah, at that point, at least you have some definitely. some hypotheses that you might be able to test out uh, yeah. and, you, and you can experiment with. But there's yeah. also the fact that, you know, and it might sound silly, but people might not know to scroll. You know, it's uh, quite often you'll see, you'll, you'll load up a, a, picture, a page on your phone or maybe on your desktop, and that top section of the screen just perfectly fits your your device and there's no cue to scroll so you see kind of uh, you might see an image you might see you know a headline a call to action and you're thinking that's it that's this page uh, because on, on a desktop you would see the scroll bar on the right and most people will clue into the fact that there's more down below but you might on a phone yeah that above the fold and below the fold is a different challenge yeah, but you also you can't assume that someone will see that scroll bar. Hmm. And also, I, I think on Mac it's a little different. Or there are there are ways of changing what that scroll bar looks like, so it's less obvious. Or you know, people you just can't rely on people actually looking for the scroll bar to see that there's uh, more to scroll to. So you know, that's maybe a bit of an yeah, extreme depending example, on, still, on what it is that that's a good. I haven't really thought that much about people not scrolling. I, you know, even to think of it as as a big challenge, which is surprising. I always do think about what's above the the fold, what's below the fold. But just the fact that people would not even think to to scroll is not one of the first things I usually look for. I like that. Yeah, um, well, generally a better site will just in some way give you some sort of cue that there yeah. is something below, which makes you scroll. You get to the next section, you read the info there, you you get more excited about the product then that has its cue to scroll as well. And that could be, you know, a little kind of flashing arrow hinting that click here to scroll down or whatever. Or it could just be that you've designed it so that that hero image is just above the fold on any device. Yeah, so which is I think what I'm used to. There. Sometimes, you know, we do things for so long that we forget why we've been doing them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that makes a lot of sense. Now, so you mentioned three things there. and obviously, So we've got the analytics, we've got the... The heat maps and that sort of thing, but when you talk about um, actually surveying customers, getting customer feedback, or what is that process like? Is that something where somebody that comes to the website sees some kind of a, a modal or you know or, or uh, light box or some kind of pop up sort of a screen, and they're asked to give feedback about the session, or um, customers after they make a purchase are asked to to leave some kind of feedback or. How do you get that that kind of feedback? Because I think that's tremendous, of course. And in some cases, it's difficult to get users to invest time into, you know, just helping your business <laughs> for no, uh, you know, I, I guess for an altruistic reason. And if there is such a thing, <laughs> yeah, in that in that moment, at least, if there is such a thing. Um, so yeah, there are the kind of three common uh, surveys that you use on sites. Um, that, that generally will just sit there, you know, unless unless we we feel like we've got enough for now, you know, it doesn't have to run constantly. But one is just general exit intent. Why, you know, obviously not on the uh, checkout page, 
but why is this person deciding to leave the website? Um, you know, could it be they've not found the information they're looking for? Sometimes it's pricing. Sometimes it's, you know, I have working with one business where um, if a product is out of, if a product size is out of stock, it just doesn't show that size. So it's not crossed out. It's, it's not there at all. Hmm. And so what we think we're seeing is um, people just don't think the business has it. It's just not a, not a product that exists when actually it might just be in stock next week. Um, so exit intent is, is really valuable, but obviously majority of the time it only works for desktop users. Um, then on more frequently than on mobile, I tend to use a bit of a softer, um, sometimes a softer exit intent, which has worked a few times, which would be, you know, targeting mobile users who are just about to reach that average time for non-converters. Um, hmm. but that obviously affects everyone. So it, it's not the best, but we basically just ask, you know, what is the one thing that can make this page better? Or what is the one piece of information that you're looking for on this page? Just something like that, which is a bit of a softer, just, you know, would really appreciate some feedback sort of thing rather than the exit intent, which is can come across as kind of, hang on, what are you doing? Why are you leaving? <laughs> you know, um, it's a little needy sometimes. That. I'll admit that, that, you know, uh, but then again, it, it, I usually, uh, I try to equate these things back to brick and mortar. And if I'm walking out of a store with nothing in my hands, you know, somebody asking me, did you find what you were looking for today? Was any, you know, that last chance to try to save me, um, you know, or it looks like I'm going out to my car and I'm leaving my basket behind <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and I'm not taking, and I'm not checking out, oh, you know, was there a problem? You know, can we help you with anything that that's, that doesn't feel as, you know, terribly awkward. I think sometimes how it's done uh, in the e-commerce world can feel a, a little bit like <laughs> the website's it, grasping. It, yeah. It comes ac across a bit aggressive sometimes, you yeah. know, it's, it, it can come across as we don't really care what you were doing here. We just want to know why you didn't, you didn't buy something. Um, but actually, just on, on your point on retail, it really, really annoys me that that doesn't happen more. The amount of times I've walked out of a store and and not a single staff member has said anything to me the entire time I've been there. And also, in fact, I've, I've done it recently a couple of times. Um, there's a I have two, uh, like two small versions of supermarkets near me, um, what they're called, Metro here, like Tesco Metro and Co-op, whatever. You know, the smaller version of their their site, uh, their stores, which is more residential areas. And I go into one of, I've been into one of them a couple of times recently, and they haven't had one of the key products that I've wanted. And I've been walking around with the basket, and they've, they've clearly seen me come back to the exit, put that basket back and leave, and no one's ever said anything to me. No one's <laughs> ever asked, you know, why I was clearly looking to purchase something. And, you, uh, you know, you don't go into a supermarket just to browse. You know, yeah. it's, it's not like a, a fashion store where you might just yeah, it's, do some window it's not killing like. time in the mall. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, people don't do it. Um, but yeah, what, what was the other one? The uh, the other one, yeah, it's that post-purchase feedback. So how would you rate your experience? What could we have done better? Um, but one that I like really well is, really well? One that I like a lot <laughs> is um, what is the one thing that almost stopped you making your purchase today? Or what's the one thing that put, almost put you off? Because sometimes 
obviously they have gone through with their purchase, but you just make them think a little bit. And sometimes you'll get things like, um, I wasn't sure if you had free returns or, um, you know, I, I just wasn't sure if this product would fit me or something like that. And it just gives you that little bit of information to think, to, to kind of say to yourself, why didn't this person know we have free returns? How do we make that information more obvious? Why didn't this person feel like the product would fit them? What do we need to do to make people understand these products will fit them? Which is obviously really difficult with, you know, clothing and shoes where even the same size can be printed on different brands and products. And it's sure. a really different thing. Sure. We had a recent episode where we were talking about, uh, you know, returns around the holiday season and, you know, it, it's a difficult business in terms of the waste involved in in terms of the logistics involved, uh, you know, all to get that customer, the one thing that will fit them and they'll enjoy and they'll appreciate N- nothing easy about it. Um, although technology, you know, hopefully with a lot of, uh, you know, newer apps and things that can scan things and kind of measure you up and so on, you know, that, that maybe you can get more of that perfect uh, fit. I think we're heading in that direction and that's going to help a lot, but no, I, I'm with you. And, you know, it's funny that I, I know when I've had a good experience going into a store and I felt like someone wasn't, someone was there genuinely uh, given the role of being there to help if I needed it, but not chasing me down over a commission or anything like that. Um, there's um, a store uh, out of Japan that uh, they've opened many locations in the United States, uh, Unique Low, um, U-N-I-Q-L-O. And they always have someone there to greet you, at least in my experience. And it's a very humanizing feeling. And I, there are stores where there's someone there, but they're usually there with a different purpose. Uh, a lot of the bigger box stores where there's someone there making sure that you have a receipt with your items or if the alarm goes off or if you have returns that you go right in the right direction with them. And um, that's a little bit different, I think, than someone that's actually there to to provide you service the same way that, you know, there are certain stores you'll go into and someone will stay, <laughs> you know, they will be watching you from whatever corner they're in waiting to help because, again, they're, they're commission based or they have some other kind of a, a quota. Um, yeah. And I think that the more that we can figure out how to make shoppers feel like we're really there to try to give them as as a brand, right? You know, as, as an e-commerce business, uh, that we want them to have a good experience and we're there to help them. And this isn't completely and solely about will they make a purchase right this very second? You know, I, I think that that really builds longevity. I think that it builds things like customer lifetime value. Because we remember these things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's difficult, but yeah. You've got to remember that not, you know, not every page visit to a website or just a visit to a website is with purchase intent. There could be so many other reasons they're, they're browsing. It could literally be they're just bored at work or, and, and have just decided to browse a bit. It could be that they're looking, they're doing research, mm-hmm. just comparing products for now. Um, they might be looking for some account info. For example, um, but on your your um, your example of having a staff member there just to just to welcome people, I think John Lewis did that really well here. Um, there is generally staff who are kind of milling about, kind of near the entrance, but not too obviously, 
And, and a lot of the time, one of them will make the effort just to come out over, ask you what you're looking for, point you in the right direction. You know, it's, it's a big department store. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's important that they get people to the right place quite quickly, but it's it's done very casually and just there you go. And actually, what I've, what I've been really impressed with during the pandemic, um, two businesses in particular I can think of, and I, th- I think it was Liberty of London that I first heard about doing this. They took their in-store staff who couldn't work because the, the stores were closed, and they, they basically made them customer service people, but they, they made them like concierge sort of people for the website. So you could actually jump on a video call with a member of the store staff who really know their products. They know their departments, their products, and will be able to talk to you about anything. And that that worked really well. And I had it with another business, Habitat. Um, and I just thought it was a fantastic experience. You know, I I tend to avoid customer service channels that require me to really focus on them. So I don't want to basically I don't want to phone up a business. However, this video call experience was just it, it wowed me. Um, and I think it was just that added touch of being able to actually see the person I'm speaking to, have him answer my questions. I could see him kind of typing away if, if I um, if he had to look something up. And it was honestly the best customer experience service I've ever had. Um, wow. And it was just, yeah, because they had a, an, an in-store person. Look, you know, stores where your your average order value is high, stores where customer lifetime value is high, it's not unusual. Even stores like Macy's here in the States were known for having personal shoppers uh, for larger spenders, for better long-term customers. And translating that sort of thing online, I know we had an episode a few months back with um, a team called Bonjoro where oh, yeah. they were making yeah personalized videos uh you know it's a, it's a tech platform where you know these uh e-commerce businesses can send individualized videos to shoppers at different stages uh in the customer experience journey and being able to to take those moments uh you know they've got some great case studies and stories about it I actually, like uh, things like that. That <laughs> I've I've spoken to Bonjour twice on my podcast. Um, All right, slight, well, slightly you beat me by topics, one. So, but uh, but yeah, there is a good a good team there. Bunch, yeah, really. and I, I think that we'll keep seeing more businesses like that that are figuring out. Uh, you know, again, back back to my earlier thought about you know not just looking at the mouse trap, but uh, but the mice because, like you said, it, it's a customer journey. So. Even if the shopper adds something to cart, doesn't mean that they were ready to purchase. Maybe they were just checking what the shipping and and taxes and landed costs would be for them to actually get that item because that's what's most important to them. They might not be ready to buy that until someone's birthday a couple of months later. Uh, It's interesting that sometimes if we only look at all of this as raw data, (laughs) try to build off averages and not people it gets a, a little bit tougher to build those relationships in a strong way. So, you know, when we look at these things, and I know we've touched on this in a couple of different ways, but is converting the the shopper, uh, you know, still the number one metric? Is that where it all lies? Or do you have something else that you put a little bit higher uh, on the uh, <laughs> on the proverbial totem pole? Yeah, well, I mean, 
customer lifetime value has to be the most important thing you're looking at. Um, or uh, probably more ideally, customer lifetime profit, because uh, really that's what matters. You know, you, The issue with conversion rates is there are so many value-destroying ways of improving conversion rates that you know, if, if you focused on that and focused on reducing your CPAs, you could have an amazing time. You could you could generate some fantastic results, but later down the line, you're going to see the impact of that in a negative way. You know, so if I, I could you know stick up a banner for fifty percent off your purchases for life if you buy today, and you get free shipping and free returns, and we'll throw in a free gift. You know, that's going to skyrocket your conversion rate. You know that's something like that is probably going to get you the closest to a hundred percent that you possibly can. Um, but you, you're never going to get any long-term value from those people. You know, there is a stage at which, um, obviously certain, certain promotions are just destroying the value anyway, you know, because you, you could be converting those customers anyway. You know, they, sh- they should be happy to buy. If you're convincing someone that your product is the right for them, they should be willing to buy it without that extra discount. Well, and I like um, to remind folks that once you you train the customer that that's how your store operates and that's what the item should cost or what have you, that it's a, a it's a vicious cycle. Yeah, <laughs> it's very hard to untrain them on that because at that point they're waiting for that kind of coupon or discount all over again. Yeah, especially with physical products because at least with a digital one, you can kind of say, look, well. We'll give you a, a month free or whatever, or half a month free, um, and uh, but then it goes up to full price, and and I think that's kind of become best practice, well not best practice, but the common practice. So it's what customers expect, and if you give it to them, I don't think there's that expectation that in the next month they can get a discount. Mm-hmm. But with f- physical products, you are just really giving that impression that it's not worth that much because you're able to discount it straight away. Yeah. Um, um, I'm going to come back to something that I said earlier where, you know, providing an average user experience, I find that sometimes that that's not the answer, that it can be quick and easy to spin up a pretty bland store. But if you're competing against Amazon, which is a place to buy stuff, it's a commodity um, market, you know, you're not really purchasing there. Uh, you know, because of all of the learning that that you're doing there and all of the amazing content and all of the amazing differentiators you're buying because it's fast and easy and you have some level of trust in in Amazon as the, uh, at least as the parent to your purchase, even if they're not uh, the actual seller, you know, paying a lot of attention to who the seller is in most cases. So, do you find that there is a breakdown, you know, can a, can a really simple store thrive or, you know, does it take a lot of these add-ons and, um, and processes and all this optimization to really uh, be able to scale? Um, I think to a certain extent, yes, but also you, you don't have to be doing everything Amazon is doing. You don't have to have all their features. You don't have to, yeah, you don't have to look at your competitors and think, right, they've got this this feature. We've got to give, we've got to have it as well, which is this other plugin, which is going to cost us a monthly fee. It's going to add load to the website. It might conflict with another tool you've got. You don't have to do everything. Really, you know, the most important thing really is that you sell the product well. And by that, I mean, you know, 
like copywriting, um, a story. You know, I've I've got a a, a friend whose whose business is just uh, he he focuses on storytelling and copywriting to improve conversion rates on the most important product page on the website. That's it. He focuses on one page. Um, and that is the most important thing. If you can convince people that your brand has values and a mission and they can really understand why your product is absolutely the best product for them, you'll you'll convert them. And you might even find that you can charge them shipping fees and, and not have a free returns policy. You know, obviously, you'll see higher conversion rates with them. But there'll be, you know, there should be people willing to just take a punt on it because they really do believe it's the best product for them. Um, and then you're just capturing more of the market by adding a few of those extra kind of plugins and steps in. It's funny um, that there are those things that sometimes we don't even think about. You know, I, I've got young kids and uh, when we send them to preschool, <laughs> everything's got to be labeled. And I mean everything, every lid, every... Every, every little piece of everything because, you know, everything will otherwise disappear into the abyss, uh, some sort of Bermuda Triangle at, at the preschool. So they yeah. specifically, they really don't want you sending things without labels. And, you know, so, yeah, we use masking tape on things ad hoc as needed, that sort of thing. But we buy these fancy, cute labels with kids' names and all that. Um, and... When we do that, we're buying from specific label printing websites that do this, that are, you know, make these cute, cool things for kids. And um, they, they're, of course, charging shipping. They're charging, you know, there, there's, you know, they might have a coupon at some point, but we're not questioning that extra because we trust the quality that I'm going to wash those bottles you know, a hundred times and that label is still going to be on there. And when I need to take it off, it's going to come off. <laughs> How much yeah. more do I really need to think about at that point? I, you know, that there are going to be those times when someone has just built a reputation or, or built up a value proposition that the extra, you know, few dollars, the plus or minus the same reason that, you know, organic products sell at a premium or other things sell at a premium I think at that point, the shopper is looking at the total cost. And, you know, if we're talking about something that makes sense, it just makes sense. And so I um actually, I've, I've got a personal example from yeah. just a few days ago, last week. Uh, I was actually I was actually prospecting a business. So I was, I was having a look over, over the website thinking, what, what do I think I could do for this business? Where can I maybe see some opportunities, obviously, without knowing the customer, without knowing the data? Um, well, I, t I tend to just put a quick video or voice note together for people. Um, I actually loved their product and their website. You know, there are things I can do for them. I need to get back to them on that. But I really liked the product, really liked the uh, the way they kind of uh, sent you through the customer journey to buy the product. Um, but because I was in work mode, I didn't purchase. I kind of filled in a few details. I got through the checkout a little bit, but I just... Didn't go all the way. I don't think I have my card on me, um, whatever. So I exited. I got a cart abandonment email with a discount. So literally the fact that I, I actually loved it, I was, it was on my mind to go back to that website uh, just even a few hours later and make that purchase anyway. Um, but I got 10% off just mm -hmm. because. Just because. They, they, yeah. Well, they got that wrong. 
You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, I don't want to sound harsh well, about it, but if they had a 30% margin on that product, they just gave away a third of their profit. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I always like to point that out, the 10%, 5%, whatever it is, it doesn't sound like much until you factor in what the actual cost of, of the goods and other overhead are and what, you know, and, and understand what the remaining profit is and the discounts add up quickly. So, you know, we've talked about a few things that, that work. What is it that's delighting customers these days? Is it, you know, I mean, the content <laughs> we'll be saying from now until the cows come home that the content is king, of course. That's not changing anytime soon. I know speed has become a major factor. What else is happening in these sites that is going to be more likely make or break in order to be competitive today? Well, make make or break. Is a strong or, way of putting yeah, it. maybe maybe that's a little strong, but at least that's going to weigh heavily. That you know, if you were evaluating a site, are there you know a short list of other things that you traditionally look at that you're like, ouch, you know, like th- this is something that needs to be fixed quickly. Yeah, um, I, I do check site speed because it, it is uh, it, it's a honestly it's a good selling point. Um, high site speed uh, tend, does tend to correlate to a lower lower conversion rate. However, and it's something that I honestly do need, still need to do the research on, or more research on. I'm uh, speaking to a few other people people about it. I'll share a few of my articles I, with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think you need to be hitting that kind of three seconds site load time that uh, that the experts say. I don't think it's that important um what i do think is important is that if every page of your website loads in like 20 seconds that's going to annoy people oh yeah that's where you will really start to see drop off if you if the site initially takes five ten seconds to fully load that is not obviously just appearing not just the first uh you know above the fold or what have you but yeah i don't think people really notice but it also depends what's loading. You know, it, it is noticeable when you're on a product page and you're about to make a click and then something else loads and shifts the page slightly. And so you click in the wrong place. You know, that stuff annoys people, but you can, you know, you can mitigate that. But I think if your brand and your message and the general usability of the website is making it is making a really good selling point to the customer, they'll put up with a little bit of you know, slow loading time because they're convinced that this is the product for them. So it's it's more just, you know, there is a top limit mm-hmm. and you will see benefits by um by dropping that site speed. But I I don't think Yeah, we do calculations for folks on how their conversion rate, um, how their bottom line is likely to be impacted by it. But this is imperfect. You know, we because as JetRails is web hosts, you know, we're really a big part of that time to first bite and so, some of that overarching, which, you know, some of the potential speed issues that the people are, are experiencing, a lot of it is easily addressed. They don't yeah. need to reinvent the wheel completely in most cases. And that's where we can have a big outsized impact pretty quickly with the right caching systems, the right content delivery network. Uh, you know, the right hardware and other things. And, um, you know, it, it doesn't take months and, 
you know, <laughs> uh, not to speak, uh, you know, in any negative, but it's, it's not quite up to brain surgery or rocket science. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we look at that, but I'm with you that if the content isn't there, it basically the site can load as fast as, as you want, but if the product prices are off or, you know, the shipping is an issue or the content itself more likely isn't engaging and, and isn't inviting and, the speed isn't going to be the top factor. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I have it in there, but, but yeah, there's a big thing around, um, you know, the, the content, the message, the, the benefits. Um, but also you've got to think of, uh, think of the non, the non obvious benefits. Um, one of one example I've been using recently is if you've got products that might need to be attached to the wall, um, you know, even if it's like a, you know, a bookshelf or something like that, uh, like a standing bookshelf for this example, you get some which you know need to be like screwed into the wall. So you might need a drill or something, but you get others which have an adhesive and just and kind of get stuck to the wall. Because you know, for a standing bookshelf, you don't need it drilled into the wall really. You just need it stuck to the wall so that it doesn't move too much. But it's not, it doesn't need to be like properly fixed in there. The benefit to the adhesive is that. You don't need a tool, and you don't need to drill a hole in the wall. Mm -hmm. Which, unless you've I, got, uh, unless you've got kids that want to climb all over it, but um, yeah, all right, you, that's you just going to save it, me but... from the lawsuit here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but the, but I think IKEA had to do some major recalls and things over some of that. But no, I, I'm with you that in most cases, I don't want to be drilling holes anywhere. I don't want to be exactly, uh, especially yeah. if you rent. You know, if you yeah. rent a place, you, you might not be able to drill a hole. So it's actually a massive selling point to you that you've just got to use these adhesives to, to attach it to the wall and then and you're done. Um, and then I think, you know, kind of moving down towards the first customer, customer lifetime value piece, um, just that personalization on those on all those touch points, like really trying to give the customer the impression that you are actually personalizing the website to their to their needs and that you're aware of of certain things like you know companies like netflix do it really well you know you open up your you open up your account and it displays content that they think is relevant to you mm -hmm. they don't just we think of those it. those movies and tv shows as products it's basically the the same kind of algorithms it's not yeah. that difficult to identify that people that enjoyed certain things or you know that sat through certain movies, the same way that we talk about products, people that bought these products um, or that spent a lot of time looking at, at these products are likely to engage with those products. Exactly. Uh, and if I'm, if I'm constantly actually watching stuff on Netflix, I'm, I'm kind of buying those products and therefore I'm less likely to cancel my account. Mm -hmm. But if I can't find anything I want to watch, I'm, I'm not going to keep paying the, the monthly fee. Yeah. Well, and, and a with, lot of these, um, you know, another recent episode that we had, we were just talking about, you know, quizzes and letting customers kind of surface the products that they want to see in a more natural way by asking them actual questions and not guessing at it. And I, I would equate that similarly if you're, let's say, as Netflix, you know, putting on that child filter, uh, you know, being able to surface the things that are going to be applicable um, the same way that some apps might ask what kind of movie preferences you have or things like that. You know, why are they going to show you, especially when you're first uh, starting up with certain apps, uh, you know, why yeah. are they going to show you these things that you really don't 
fit your personality. If you're all about, I don't know, horror films and thrillers and things, why show you all these rom-coms? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you can, even with an e-commerce business, you, you could put some sort of quiz in front of people and just say, look, what are your preferences? What sort of thing are you looking for? You know, there are businesses like, um, uh, is it Stitch Fix? Hmm. I don't know if you have that over there, but, yeah. um, you know, they, I think they just send over a, like a box of clothes every month or fortnight or whatever, based on your preferences, you keep what you want, you send the rest back, but you, you go through like a whole questionnaire on their website to, to go through all their preferences. And some of these businesses will, will get you on the phone as well. And you'll kind of speak to a, to a, a personal stylist who will then add more detail to that. Because again, you know, I might, I might say that I like, uh, like button up shirts, right. But what's key is the fact that I don't like short sleeve uh, button up shirts. And also I don't want formal ones, but if you only ask, do you like this style of shirt that and give one option, you then you still got three or four different styles that you could be sending that person. You don't actually know which one they want. So yeah, it's really important to use that data. Um, ask questions. You know, I'm, I'm working with a client at the moment, a, a PC website, and we're, we're actually looking at rebuilding their whole website. So we're doing a, a big project on that. And part of it is finding out what people want, what, what they want to buy, how they want to buy it. You know, do people want to the complete freedom to just pick their dream PC or do they want to be uh, asked a load of questions and basically told, this is your dream PC. Do you want to buy it? And that's probably a bit extreme. I'm not, I'm not expecting too many people to, there's still a trust element. People have got to really trust that that is genuinely the perfect uh, yeah. PC for them. But if, and there if might you do it just right, be more than one type of shopper that, you know, if I'm buying it, I might want to be able to build my own kit, so to speak, my own bundle and add the sub items that I want and, and kind of piecemeal together that Frankenstein of a beautiful machine. Um, but perhaps my parents, you know, that they'd rather just, you know, whether it's at Costco or on a website or whatever, that they don't really know or care about the difference between certain things. They just want a machine that's uh, it's going to be suitable for their, their particular needs. And so exactly, you do yeah. get these different, um, these different purchasing experiences where not everyone wants to spend 20 minutes piecing it together and thinking about, do I want, you know, this drive or that drive? Do I want, you know, this OS or that? They just want a machine. <laughs> yeah. People like, so people like me, I, I bought a new PC not too long ago. I really would have preferred to just answer some questions and for someone to say, this is the PC for you. None of the websites really, they, some of them try it a bit, but they don't do it very well. Um, but I'm just on that, actually, it just reminded me of something on that purchased intent um, that people might have at a certain time. I related to abandoned baskets, actually. I think a lot of people use their basket almost like a wish list. So they'll add to basket, they'll go to someone else's site, they'll add a product to a basket and then use that to compare a little bit. Um, so they basically using it as a wish list. Mm -hmm. So what you could be doing is looking at what are they adding to cart each time, but not buying. What do they add to cart but purchase? What gets added to a wish list? Which of those products do they then go on to purchase? Which ones get removed? And looking at all those little bits of data to try and work out what's this person actually like? Because um, you might find that people put massive wish lists together and then never buy any of it. 
There's some um, trends of that uh, in recent months. I've, I've seen some interesting data on it that um, certain segments, including younger people, uh, have almost been maybe the way that they might have gone into the mall to try things on and hang out. And it was uh, more recreational than actual uh, consumerism. Uh, they weren't really yeah. going to consume very much uh, of the product that they were checking out. In some cases, uh, there is that higher rate of uh, of abandoned cart. You know, for me, I don't truly abandon that much un- unless I've I've really let it go because something didn't match up when I got to the cart. Maybe it was you know shipping times or prices or something else, but. Uh, or maybe I added a item, but then the other item I needed to go with it, they didn't have or something that made the purchase yeah. not make sense for me in that moment. But I will at any given time have multiple carts in one of my browsers that uh, if if the brand waits long enough, I'm going to buy it. They don't really need to do very much. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'm waiting until I I need another item to make a bigger purchase or whatever. I'm not quite out of this thing yet. Maybe it's perishable or whatever. And uh, you know, so I'm constantly building up these these carts, sending me a bunch of uh, their brands like Target and Amazon and what have you that send me emails all the time, reminding me that there are things in in carts and, and some smaller brands as well uh, that I didn't need to be reminded. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nobody's well, so forgotten anything. All you're doing is cluttering my inbox. I, th- I think that's um, and and this this brand I actually purchased from the other day made this mistake. In the abandoned cart email, no one offers any value. Yeah, there's never a. It's never here's a product. Here's why it's good. Did you notice our great video or this great article that compares all the products in this category or this unboxing video of it, so you could actually experience it? Exactly. Like, there's so much content you could put in there. You don't have to. I'm not saying put loads in there, but you know, for a uh, an electronic good like a TV or something. You could you could add the manual to it, like you know, give give people the detail there so that they can look into to what exactly is in this product. You know, I think um, yeah, and, and how much I, I think, data it's sapping from them. <laughs> yeah, like t- I think TV's an interesting one because what, a big thing, one feature that a lot of people like is USB ports. Oh, sorry, mm-hmm. not USB, HDMI. Mm-hmm. You know, having a decent number of HDMI ports is quite useful because you've got the Xbox, the Fire Stick, you know. You might have a PlayStation as well, you, or a I don't know a speaker or something. You know, multiple products, but sometimes you're not sure how many of those ports a TV has just by looking at the description. But in the manual, that's always there. So give people the option to just download and look at the manual on the product page, but also maybe chuck it in the abandoned cart and say, mm-hmm. by the way, you know, if you're not quite sure about your purchase, here's the manual so you can check to make sure it exactly fits your requirements. And you can do it with other products as well. You know, ex- explain why this is the best product for them. I think, again, it, I think it comes back to what we were saying at like the start. That. Yeah. Um, there's almost this assumption that one per- once someone's clicked on an advert, they're ready to buy. And they've made that decision to purchase. And it's the same with an abandoned cart. It's the assumption that because they've added it to the cart, they're going to purchase it. They just need to, need to be reminded. When actually a lot of the time, they still need to be sold on it. Yeah. And, and that interesting that the spectrum, which is why, as I always say, I always try in these situations that to use myself as the barometer because, you know, you're, and I think that might be part of the challenge is that, uh, you know, things like abandoned cart emails are traditionally written 
with one purpose in mind uh, and with one type of customer in mind, and it's about one or one overarching uh, metric that you're trying to influence. And there's so much that gets left behind then. And I think, I don't, Will, you and I have already talked about probably three different things that should be turned into businesses uh, that might not be done all that well yet. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, at some point, is there a chance that someone is going to over-optimize? Is there such a thing? Uh, can we overthink any of this? Uh, yeah, I think there are two, kind of two different questions there. I don't think you can over-optimize. There's always going to be an improvement you can make. Um, obviously, you know, a lot of the time, a lot of businesses, you'll get to that point where those optimizations just aren't worth the time and the resource that goes into them. You know, if you're making a 0.001% increase, you know, you've made someone's life better. Uh, you know, you made that one customer yeah, actually convert. But the the time and resource you put into it is not worth the, the the revenue that that's going to generate. I think what you can do is over-engineer, though. You The risk is you do end up looking at a, a website like Amazon or you look at a competitor website who's got loads of plugins and widgets and things, and you think, I need to do this as well. I've got to have all this on there to, you know, to really convince customers um, to purchase, but they end up just putting loads of countdowns on there. And if you purchase by 2, 2 p.m., you'll get it next day. And and all, and all these kind of dynamic pieces of content and stuff, and it can get a little bit overwhelming for the customer. And it works really well on Amazon, like you said earlier, because you don't really care about the brand that you're buying from. You just want to see the key features of the product, and you and you just want to buy it. And it's mm -hmm. just the product. Maybe some um, decent reviews and the price seems yeah, you, okay. And check the reviews. Free it's very much a yeah. functional. Like, does this check all the boxes? Yes, it's the product. It's the product I'm looking for. Yes, it fits the requirement on you know HDMI ports or something. Yes, the reviews are good. Yes, if I buy it now, I'm going to get it tomorrow free of charge because it's Amazon next day delivery. And yes, they've got a decent returns policy. Like that's it. Whereas if you're the brand, you're trying to sell that product to them a lot more, and it's it's much more of that story, um, and the and the benefits that are going to convince people. So I think. Yeah, you, well, you and look, keep, keep it, when you're trying to keep careful. up with competitors, I mean, you might see a feature on a competitor's website that you go to replicate, and by the time you roll out with it, they've already gotten rid of it. So yeah. there's no just because they've got it doesn't mean um, that it's really doing something good for them. Well, what you might find is, well, you won't find out, but what could happen is you've gone to a competitor's website, you've fallen into a test version. And so you've seen that experience and gone, oh, I quite like that. Maybe we should do that. You've gone off, put the resource into it to copy it. And because you've assumed that your competitor is doing it, you just go and build that feature and implement it. A couple of weeks later, you find out it's not on their website anymore because the test failed or lost. Mm -hmm. They've, they've cancelled it. They don't have it anymore. And it's actually just sitting there damaging your website. But you don't know that because you never tested it. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been surprised, good or bad, by any particular optimization effort, something that really did a lot better than you were expecting or something that crashed and failed <laughs> pretty miserably when you would have assumed at least some minimal benefit? Um, 
So I've got one one recent example, um, which is where we we tested highlighting the free returns policy on the product page, which appears to have had a negative effect on conversion rate. Um, but what we think, what I think is probably happening is we're highlighting what might be considered a quite a poor returns policy. So we're going to keep experimenting with that. But the other one that I did um, working for a subscription company, kind of like Netflix, um, what we did was I, I, I was sending out a handwritten postcard to customers uh, who were in their trial. So a little note to say, thank you for joining the, the kind of the, the business, the community. Um, if you've got any questions, feel free to get in touch. There's always someone here to, to help you out. Doing it before, while they were in their trial, had no impact whatsoever on any metric. Those jerks. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. No one, there was no better chance of converting to a paid customer. They didn't read more magazines. It was a magazine subscription app. They yeah. didn't use it on more devices. Literally nothing. Nothing. So what I did was I, and this is the mistake a lot of, a lot of businesses do make, they assume that that's failed and that's over. And that's the end of it. Where you got to, you've got to iterate. You've got to, you know, try something new with that test. There might still be something there. I sent it to people who made their first payment, and we saw a massive increase in engagement. Like it was ridiculous. Some like a forty percent increase in the number of magazines that they read per month on the platform, um, and it was about a thirty to thirty-five percent increase in their lifetime value, just because they received the postcard after they made their first payment to say thank you. Huh. So coming like back it. to that, you know, <laughs> that's almost the stuff the Bonjoro guys are doing with that, that surprise yeah. and delight. It was just, but it, it just surprised me how big a difference it made pre and post trial. That That's, for me, that's pretty astounding. Uh, and this is part of why I think, you know, whenever we're talking experimentation, I always like multivariate where it's not necessarily just A and B, but there's treatments C and D and E, and sometimes you even mash them up and you see which ones work the best together. Is it A, C, and E that work well together? Or is it, you know, A, B, and D that work the best together? And you figure out which mix of things is really, really going to uh, have the impact that you want it to have. What's going to really delight customers? Exactly. So, you know, with the returns example, you know, one test we could run is extending the returns policy, having 30 days, maybe. Um, another version could be just saying free returns and just leaving it at that, but allowing people to, to click through. You know, there's different ways of working with it. One might work, you know, none of them might work. And then we find mm -hmm. out just don't highlight returns policy because people look You're at it. You're never going to make anybody because, happy with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a losing proposition. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, look, you know, there are. I remember being in uh, an office supply store a few years back and walking through it with my wife. We were just picking up a couple of things before a, a dinner in the same shopping plaza. And I see a carton of copy paper, uh, you know, multipurpose printer paper. Yep. And it says on it something to the extent of 99% or 99.9% jam-free. And I'm the jerk that's sitting yeah. there saying, wait a minute, there's 5,000 sheets of paper in this carton and 
you're now telling me exactly how many I should expect are going to jam. And I don't want a carton of paper that's going to jam that much. 99.9, like not interested that, uh, my wife's looking at me like, why does your brain work that way? Why would you go there with it? I'm like, well, they didn't have to bring it up at all because I wasn't thinking about the paper jamming until they brought it up. Yeah, I, I would never have, I would never have considered that from a paper point of view. I would have assumed that maybe the printer is the one that's, that's right. Going to be at fault that's for right. Jamming it's very every, look, every you know, few the ways that those things suck down ink and toner and whatever, and uh, it's a lot easier to blame the machine. <laughs> yeah. So you, you tell me your paper is going to jam my printer, then yeah, that's a problem. But yeah, yeah actually, you know that. Yeah, I, I can't remember the example, but that, that's just, it's the same thing. Um, a company highlighted what they felt was a uh, almost like yeah, a, they, a they key could have said point. jam actually, resistant that you know built to you know even for the the trickiest of machines to minimize chances of jamming. They could have, but they went with a specific number that I was able to equate to exactly how many sheets in that carton were going to well, uh, be likely to jam, which was totally uh, dissatisfying, even, unsatisfying. Even, even without giving you the number uh, or, or you doing the calculation. They've highlighted the fact that the paper causes a jam. Yeah, that alone means you go to you you go to a, a pack of paper which doesn't even mention that, and you go, oh well, they don't mention it, so this paper must not cause jams. Yeah, you know, sometimes a little mystery is good in life. <laughs> we yeah. all need to know exactly how the sausage is made all the time. As much as we think we want to, we usually don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Well, uh, this has been a, a lot of fun. Uh, before we wrap it up for the day, do you have any final thoughts, any uh, words of wisdom, anything cool coming down the pike in 2021 as the year continues forward or uh, anything else that, that you want to impart on our listeners? Yeah, I just think, I, I do think customer experience is going to be more and more important as we go forwards. Um, and that uh, it includes a lot though. So it includes things like brand values, you know, if your if your brand does care about the environment and sustainability and stuff, shout about it on your website. If all you're doing is stick it, putting a little badge on your products saying this product is eco-friendly, it, it can come across as a, a feature and not really a, you know, it doesn't come across as your brand really loves it. So I think people are going to really pay attention to that. Um, and, and and I think people want to be loyal to businesses that that are good to them. You know, they people don't mind spending a bit more money with a, a brand that they trust, that they think is quality, and that they think is kind of there for them as well. You know, even though we all know the purpose of that company is to make money, mm -hmm. if if I feel it shares my values, if I feel like if I have a problem, I can ask them about it and get that problem solved. You know, I'm, I'm going to be more willing to go to the, the the company that makes it easy for me to do that than the one that I'm thinking. The only way to get into contact with you is between the hours of like X and Y on the phone. It's just, I'm not going to bother. I'm just going to go somewhere else. So make, make it easy for people. Um, yeah, well, yeah. And the same way that when the only option on the website is to fill out a contact form and there is no phone number and there is no email address and there is no, no other way. I don't know who's getting that and when, and if, if they'll get it and, it doesn't feel very good either. Um, doesn't instill a lot of trust that trust is in a lot of ways earned uh, and you have to put things forward and you have to do things. And 
I think that's um, that for me, at least that's a piece of why I continue to, to shop somewhere, not only because um, there's some trust built, but also I think that in some ways uh, and I think that there are some brands that have done a good job of uh, of letting this float to the top, um, like some of the ride sharing uh, platforms where they rate the passengers, <laughs> you know, yep. the driver will rate the passenger. I feel like in some ways, you know, if I've placed 10 or 20 or 50 or even just, you know, four orders from a, a store and I've been a loyal customer at that point, if I do have a problem, they're more likely to want to take care of me to recognize me as someone with some, you know, some long-term value uh, versus just being an, another number in a ledger. And that I don't mind having that kind of relationship uh, somewhere. And some of these things, you know, they're not something that we talk about day to day as much. I mean, you know, I think we see more of it in the service industry, whether you're talking about, you know, the person that cuts your hair or, uh, you know, the whatever services you might use to help with issues for your home. You know, you probably don't pick a new plumber every time you need one <laughs> or yeah. whatever the case may be that you, you build some kind of rapport, you, you build some kind of relationship uh, that I, I certainly, you know, I, I know as a shopper that I'm not looking to start that process all over again every time. <laughs> well, um, with my, my barber, so I thought he did a great job, um, but, I, but I really like the guy. We have a good chat. Um, I would always try and book an appointment with him specifically I, I now know that he's not the best barber there because um there were a couple of times he was unavailable i had to go use someone else and and i did get a better haircut but i'm still going to go back to him mm -hmm. because it's not it's not bad he doesn't do a bad job but i just I, I just prefer him you know he you know he speaks you know he has a chat with me um i almost feel like we're friends it's that sort of relationship and I'm, I'm just going to keep going back to him even though I, I suspect I can potentially get a slightly better haircut than someone else. I think we got our bumper sticker for the year. Okay. To all the merchants out there, be the barber. That's all you need to know. Be the barber. Yeah. That's it. You know, you, you've got to be able to do that. Uh, well, this was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, I hope we get to do it again sometime uh, in the future. And, uh, you know, thank you so much for your time and sharing your wisdom uh, with the Jet Rails podcast listeners. And to those listeners, as always, Thanks for tuning in. We'll have more great content for you coming up very soon. Uh, in the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and happy selling out there. Thanks for listening to the Jet Rails podcast. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We also post full videos of most episodes on the Jet Rails YouTube and Facebook channels. You can find links at jetrails.com forward slash podcast. Have questions about an episode? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover in the future? We're at Jet Rails on LinkedIn and Twitter. Do you want to sponsor this podcast? Sorry, but we're committed to ad-free listening. We are, however, always looking for guests that our listeners will benefit from. And don't forget to like the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from. It's a small ask, but it's a big help. We appreciate it, and more importantly, we appreciate you.